Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, everyone. This is the Thursday Deep Dive on Chit Chat Money. I'm here with Ian Gray and Ryan Henderson. As always, Ian, how's it going down in Phoenix? It's pretty good. It's uh, still 100 degrees out here, but about to drop below maybe next week. So starting to cool off a little bit and to get those fall temperatures. Yeah, up in Seattle. Yeah, (laughs) still nice in Seattle up here, but in a few weeks, the pendulum's going to start switching where we're going to be wishing we're going to be down in Phoenix. Uh, But I would not want to be there right now. Ryan, ready to talk about Unity? Yes. Um, So you're up first. What do they do? And do you want to talk about the history of the company? Yeah, so Unity enables creators to bring interesting things to life using 3D technology. So they do that by offering different software solutions that allow developers to create, run, and monetize various forms of interactive content. So while Unity really got its start in gaming and they've built a pretty big reputation in that industry, there's also other industries that are seeking out the technology that Unity has. And so some of those industries include AEC, which is uh, short for architecture, engineering, and construction, as well as automotive and manufacturing, and even film and television. There might've been another one on the S1, but those are the ones that I got down. Um, The platform consists primarily of two solutions. So it's the create solutions and the operate solutions. Create solutions allow developers to really build out the functional content and that's paid for on a subscription basis. So think about that really allows the creativity on the development side. If you're thinking about like an Apex Legends, that's how they build out the game. And then the operate solutions makes it so customers can grow and monetize their end user base. Um, So if you buy a new skin or whatever in Apex, Mm -hmm. I keep using Apex as an example, that's you pay the company, the content creator, and they have a kickback essentially for Unity. And so Mm -hmm. it's paid through revenue sharing and usage-based models. And a lot of this is advertising, correct, from what I read? Yeah, so there's a lot of advertising. Then there's also in-app purchases. They didn't really break out the operate solution revenue, um, but I imagine a lot of it's ad-based. History, uh, Unity Technologies was founded as Over the Edge Entertainment, or OT. Good name change, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) For Uh, sure. And they were founded in Copenhagen, Denmark in 2004 by three different guys, David Helgeson, Nicholas Francis, and Joachim Anti. Might be butchering those, so that's on me. Um, But Helgeson is now an independent director. Anti is still on as the CTO, like he was um, when they first started, and Nicholas Francis is nowhere to be found. I, right. I, I rest invest, not, rest invest, right? I could not find him anywhere. Um, but yeah, in 2005, they released their first game called Goo Ball, and it was a total flop. But in the process of building that game, they built out the tools so that it would make it easier for them. That ended up being the business that Unity is today. So that was super valuable. And the first, uh, it was the first engine that was truly catered to developers for mobile. Um, so, and 
since at the time the focus was on bigger consoles. So most of the people that were creating tools were doing it for the Xbox. I don't know if it was 360 at that point or Xbox One, um, but basically the bigger consoles. And Unity came in and focused a lot on iOS. And because of that, they've held the lead with market share. 53% of the top 1,000 mobile games on the Apple App Store and Google Play were made with Unity. Um, and then they IPO'd on August 24th, hot IPO, went yeah. berserk the first day, if I remember correctly. Yeah, well, so we'll get into that on the valuation, but it's barely a month old. And yeah, I'll get into the industry and competition. This is a special one we do for the deep dives so we can kind of get more of an overview on who their competition is and how their industry works. So their most well-known competitor is Epic Games. They make the Unreal Engine. The Unreal Engine is a little different. They're more focused for those high profile console games while unity like you just said is focused on mobile and the two business lines are like you said operate and create those are the you know what the majority there's no other business lines at all right there's the strategic partnerships okay which which is small as well yeah that's okay that's like 10 percent. yeah um so unity is really riding the wave of this new real-time 3d content uh, market that's a lot more feasible over you know probably the last five years here because more and more devices can actually have the compute to run these things and then the unity engine can help companies do that a lot well because going and making a real-time 3d content game is difficult from scratch so unity is actually increasing their value proposition as they can help these developers do that um, there's hundreds of mobile studios who work with unity and competitors uh, for example 93 of the top 100 work with unity Uh, It's tough because they're kind of building a new market here. So um, they cite on the S1 that they have some pricing pressure on the competition from Unreal. And a lot of the times from third parties, magazines, developer reviews, things like that, they kind of have Unity as not low quality, but less quality than the Unreal Engine. So if you want to do something fast and cheap, you build on Unity. If you want to make it the best possible, you build it on the Unreal Engine. Those are kind of the oligopoly they have there. Well, duopoly, I guess. And then lastly, uh, Operate Solutions doesn't really have any direct competition. They're kind of in a weird niche market. You could say they're competitors with Facebook and Google, but they're not direct competitors, right? Because like with the advertising side, they're kind of competing with them, but there's no big competitors out there. It's a lot of small, small companies. Does Unreal not, I mean, I guess we don't know, but I believe, I mean, you could buy skins in Fortnite. I imagine Um, they've created the tools to have in-app purchases much like unity unreal has done that but unity was first to market there so they're they're a little ahead of the game on that front um ian do you want to get into management and ownership yep so i'll start off by just saying the the ceo um he's not one of the founders he was brought in in 2014 his name is john riccatello um he joined the board of unity in 2013 and the founder uh helgeson has said you know, he kind of brought him on the board thinking that someday he might make this transition to CEO um, as Helgeson decided to kind of take a little bit of a step back. Um, before that, he was the CEO of EA, um, the, the popular game manufacturer from 2007 to 2013. So he's been in the space for a while. Before that, he had a fund that was um, kind of interested in kind of the gaming um, space. One of the things that really runs throughout the S1 and the management team is this idea of um, creators. And they have this quote at the beginning of their S1 that says, we believe the world is a better place with more creators in it. And that's something that really um, seems to run throughout the management team. Uh, Riccatello, he took the reins, like I said, four years ago, and he believes that traditional businesses such as construction, car design, and filmmaking will eventually replace video games as Unity's main customer base and source of revenue. 
Um, and I think that kind of goes to that creator aspect where they just look out at the world and see lots of creators, lots of creatives and think we can, we can capture that market because we have a great tool for creators. Yeah. And creator doesn't necessarily only apply to developers. I, I feel mm-hmm. like some people get that wrong in, you know, the architecture space, it's architects that architects, are creating engineers with the architects, construction managers, things like that. It can really yeah. go down and it can go down to even less technical positions um, as the process gets a lot easier and easier. Yeah, exactly. There's just, and that's what they're, they've really tried to kind of open up the, the minds of investors with to say, look at all these people who are creating things out there, whether it's games or movies or, you know, architecture, there's just so many different markets where people are creating things. And this tool can really be helpful in a lot of those places. Um, one thing I'm going to note that's a little bit of a red flag um, the company was sued by the former VP of talent acquisition last year, um, kind of suing um, the company because of sexual harassment claims against the CEO. Um, the HR head was also involved and um, is no longer at the company. It's, it's worth, you know, those are just allegations and stuff. And it's worth mentioning that Riccatello and Unity have denied allegations. Helgeson has said that if they believe the claims, Riccatello would no longer be at the company. Um, but it is something that's kind of out in the periphery that has not been settled yet. And there's still some questions about exactly what happened. Kind of a yellow um, flag to watch out for. Exactly. Something to keep your eye on. Um, it's always hard to know in these types of situations um, what exactly happened because there's just not a whole lot of evidence on either side, but something to keep an eye on. Um, moving more into the ownership, Riccatello owns about 3.1% of the shares. Helgeson, the founder, um, 4%. All told, all the insiders hold about 16.7%. So a good healthy chunk of the company like to see that, you know, management and insiders are definitely aligned with shareholders. And then kind of a final note, Sequoia Capital and Silver Lake own about 38% of the company. They're, they were both um, early investors in, um, in Unity. And actually, if you go to Sequoia Capital's um, website right now, they have a letter saying something about, um, how proud they are of the Unity team and excited about the IPO. So if you want to read more about their ownership, you can you can head over there. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think Silver Lake especially, I believe, started in on the Series D, but they averaged up um, each funding round. So they were constantly in each uh, sequential funding round. So interesting note there. It's the softbank strategy, but it actually worked because it was a, a good business. Right? Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> I'll get into the valuation. Uh, it says it just went public. I like to note on these ones, the shares outstanding because it's really hard. None of the uh, aggregator sites calculate the EBITDA sales and stuff you have to do on your own. So they have 267.2 million shares post IPO. Uh, the EV or the enterprise value, we are an enterprise value podcast, uh, is calculated. This may be a little off, but I think from what I tried to estimate from whatever is trading today, it's about 25.1 billion. Um, obviously that changes day to day. The price right now is $94.23. And the ticker is U, one of the one out of 26 that actually have a single letter there, which is kind of cool, I guess. EV to revenue though, that is where we might get a little disappointed because it is 35.8 if you analyze the last six months. And that is when they got the COVID boost from everyone playing games. So that's a high valuation, no matter how you put it. Their operating margin is negative 14.8%, so they're not profitable. Free cash flow margin, a little better, but still not growing cash flow. They're losing cash every year at about negative 10%. And then stock-based compensation at about 6.1% of revenue. So at this valuation, uh, it shouldn't dilute it too much. 
Yeah, and I'll dive into the earnings numbers, and this is all based off their S1, and I did full year 2019 numbers, not uh, the last six months, so they have more recent ones if you want to go look at it, but in 2019, they had $542 million in revenue, up 42% year over year with about 78% gross margins. Gross margins have fluctuated, but they tend to stay right between around 77 and 81%, so it's pretty stable. Uh, and then six, negative 68 million in operating cash flow for 2019. That's a negative 12 and a half percent operating cash flow margin. The year prior was negative 21, so it's uh, trending in the right direction. And then obviously free cash flow is negative as well. 45% of their operating expenses were spent on research and development. I like to see that. I like that much better than having it all in sales and marketing. And they had a dollar-based net expansion rate of 133% for 2019. That was actually 142% in the first six months of 2020. That was due to the hike in gaming this year that we got from COVID, like Brett mentioned. And then they had 600 customers spending $100,000 or more. And that number grew 24% year over year. Of note, I'm pretty sure 92% of the customers spending $100,000 or more are gaming companies. Mm -hmm. That is correct. That's so correct. it uh, while they talk a lot about uh, branching out outside of gaming, they are very much a gaming um, provider right now. Yeah, currently. Yep. Yep. And I'll go ahead and talk a little bit about the balance sheet and liquidity. So as Brett was mentioning a little bit earlier, it's hard to calculate a few of these numbers because we don't have financial statements from post IPO, yeah. but they raised about $1.3 billion from the IPO. So they have somewhere around a billion and a half, a billion point seven in cash right now. That feels high. Um, it, it is high and it's, it really strengthened their balance sheet a lot. Yeah. Um, their current ratio now sits at about five times, but I think one of the reasons they raised so much cash is they're looking forward and saying, we're going to have to continue to fund some losses. And they're, they're also looking to make some acquisitions. They've said in their S1 that they're going to continue to pursue acquisitions of products, teams, and technologies that complement and expand the functionality of our platform, add to our technology expertise, and bolster our leadership potential or position by providing access to new customers or markets. So they made um, about a $200,000 cash acquisition last year. I would expect to see some similar type acquisitions in the next um, in the coming years. Um, sorry, that's $200 million. Right. Um, and one of the things before they had this IPO, they had a, a lot of money in goodwill, which is basically just the, the premium you pay on a business over its book value. And so sometimes that can be concerning because if you, um, oftentimes goodwill is written down as you realize that the acquisition wasn't worth as much as you paid for it, which can hit, hit earnings, scare investors, that type of stuff. And so when you see an elevated level of goodwill relative to total assets, it's a little bit concerning, but with all the cash they just raised, that was lowered to about 10% of total assets, which is much more um, reasonable and isn't um, a big concern at the moment. Uh, they also have about $125 million drawn on a low interest revolving line of credit. The projections were that they'd pay that off um, once they get the proceeds from the IPO. Again, very small amount of debt compared to how much cash they have now and not really concerned and it was low interest in the first place so really the balance sheet is looking pretty nice yeah no concerns there um, all right we're going to hit the ad break here and then we're going to get back to the second half of the show talk more about unity and their potential going forward all right welcome back in first up is competitive advantages for unity ryan do you want to go first 
Sure. Yes. Switching engines is pretty tough. And so that's sort of my advantage here. Um, according to developers online, it's, it's hard to switch and sticking with the same engine allows you to reuse tons of code that you've written before, which is a major time saver. It also takes time to switch almost, they said, and this was through like Quora or all those Reddit forums or whatever. And, uh, they said it takes months or sometimes multiple game releases to wow, get really? to get used to a new engine and be as good as you were with like an older engine. So when since they have such a head start on the mobile or the iOS, it's going to keep a lot of those businesses to just stay. Now for the bigger consoles, that might be a little tough, but um, yeah, I think they're I think a lot of these developers are just going to be like, well, we don't need to upgrade. Unity has the tools we want. It, it leads to a lot of stickiness and potential pricing power. No, that makes sense. It, it feels, it looks like Unity's business model is very sticky. Yeah. Um, 142% base net expansion rate. That is a good indicator of that as well. <laughs> yeah, hard um, to beat that. Hard to beat that for sure. All right, I'll talk about mine. I like how they make it free and easy to get in early with students. So they may be giving up some revenue in the short term, but it does build that developer base and helps them go onto Unity first, and then they learn all this stuff, and the hours needed to learn Unity, which, you know, it's the friction that keeps people on, like you were saying, um, that can really be a big advantage, because no one can just start up an engine now. Right. Um, there is Unreal. People learn Unreal, but no one can just start up an engine like Unity, and it's kind of got this, you know, you're in the universities, you're in the high schools, everyone's doing it as a hobby. They're able to do it for free without the tools that might the tools might be like 10% of what you actually get when you pay for unity but you learn how to use it it feels a lot like mongodb versus oracle it was tough for mongodb to just start out and take over versus oracle but they made it you know open source it allowed the developer community to kind of flourish um, and i think that can happen with unity as well it's going to be tough to beat them while they're like this. And they don't even have a competitor like oracle they're kind of building this market on their own and the other component to add to that is I've talked, uh, I don't know if we've talked about it on this show before, but there's a moat about being, there's a moat that's ingrained when you are deeply rooted in university system. So you're taught it as a student and then it leads to easier onboarding at a firm level, but this mm -hmm. is not taught really in the classes. This is essentially saying, if you're a student, if you're a developer, you can get free access to Unity. I, I don't believe it's like a requirement for a lot of developers or developing uh, programs. I think, yeah, because gaming is not, they're not teaching it that much in yeah. the universities, but you use your uh, skills that you learn as a computer science major or hobbyist to, uh, you know, yeah. build stuff on Unity. All right, Ian, what do you got? Yeah, so somewhat similar um, to what Ryan was talking about, it's about switching engines, but one thing, one piece of that that they really highlight is this idea of create once and deploy anywhere. And this is particularly focused on the gaming industry right now, but I think it's, um, there could be some cross application as they move out into other industries. But basically what they do is they say, hey, build your world, build your game, and then we'll, we do all the back end coding, right? They don't, have to, they don't have to figure out how to code it for an iPhone and then you know, recode the whole world to put it onto the Xbox and, and so on, right? They can just build their world once and then they can deploy it anywhere for all these different games. And so they don't have to be constantly um, learning, you know, different software languages or different types of things to make it work for these different consoles or different, different types of uh, platforms out there. They can just focus on their craft and less on making sure that it's ready for distribution. 
No, so, I think I think that's a huge value yeah. proposition, and it honestly feels like um, the take rate that Unity is getting right now is not really what the value they're creating. So it makes me think that Unity may have pricing power, but that's something I, I'm not confident in saying. I, I it feels like they do, but I I don't know yet. All right, what do you have for future growth opportunities? Okay, well, mine is a little small, but it's partnering with Autodesk. I think that's very interesting for getting into the AEC market, which Autodesk is huge in. And again, AEC is just, you know, architecture, engineering, construction. That's kind of those design markets for the technical fields, uh, mainly, you know, buildings, whatever. Um, so they estimate that the non-gaming market is an equal market to the market opportunity, excuse me, to the gaming market. Uh, the easiest thing to see, you know, is working with construction design. That's a huge market. You know, you could even integrate stuff with AR and VR there. It seems like that would work. Um, they have a quote here. If you're kind of confused on what Unity would even do, um, they have a quote on here, and I hope this can help. So they say, now it's easier than ever to create rapid interactive designs with Autodesk 3D tools and Unity's real-time platform. So they make your designs real-time. They can easily transfer files between Autodesk products and Unity, take advantage of Unity's huge community of developer talent and support, and reach the broadest audience possible with Unity's compatibility across 25 plus platforms. So you can get any of your products, like uh, Ian was saying earlier, across you know mobile, PC, VR, and AR stuff, which is pretty big in those uh, business communities. Yeah, and uh, I'll hit my future growth opportunity next, but a lot of these are going to be outside of gaming because there's yeah. not a whole lot more they can do in terms of customer expansion. Like they're mm -hmm. not going to be able to branch out. It's a duopoly. And I mean, they might be able to get some of the smaller development teams that are not using the toolkit yet, but it's more of gaming grows. They'll grow with it right. and it's growing pretty quickly. So, you know, that's good. And so the, uh, the one I took here is the automotive industry as my future growth opportunity. They are, um, the, the leader of virtual experiences at Volvo was quoted saying, our cases for Unity are increasing almost every week from car design all the way to the consumer-facing experiences. We are using Unity to bridge departments and enable better collaboration. As the race to self-driving starts to ramp up, like, I mean, that's sort of one of the mm -hmm. big things. And even EVs, like they have to be able to design and use Unity-like tools. I think that's going to be... I think Unity is going to be the big provider for the AR and VR possibilities for automotives. And I mean, that's an industry with deep pockets. And there's a lot of R&D spend, a lot of R&D spend in that industry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ian, what do and, you have? Yeah, like, like you and Brett were talking about, I think there's a lot of future growth in adjacent industries. So um, the one I'm going to pick out is the film industry. I've got quite a few friends that are in the film industry. And so I recently just heard about... Um, an application of Unreal Engine from Epic um, in the film industry. And so I kind of was checking it out and there's a lot of cool stuff going on. Typically, I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but typically when people are shooting computer generated images for, for movies, it's been done using a green screen, which has a lot of great, you know, applications, but some of the issues are you can't change things in real time. It's all done in post-production. The director can't actually see the scene that's in front of them. So he has to be able to, Kind of imagine what it's going to look like um you know sometimes even things as simple as lighting it's hard to light those types of scenes and if you've ever talked to a, a film major or a director you know that they they really care about lighting and so green screens make that difficult what unity is kind of positioned to do is you can create these big um you, you'll have to look it up online it's hard to really explain it but just these massive screens that go around an entire set and these screens have these backgrounds on them 
that have these um, these super bright LED lights that then can uh, basically provide, it, it looks like the scene is. And so they're able to take these, um, to film these scenes in real time using things like Unreal Engine or Unity to project backgrounds on it, to project other characters on it, um, and mix mix both the real life people with these these screens in the background. One recent example of this is for any of you Disney Plus fans, The Mandalorian used a lot um, of these these types of shooting atmospheres and used Epic's Unreal Engine. And so what's really cool about it is the director can say, you know what, I actually want more sunlight. And then they can brighten up the screen, they can provide a brighter sun, they can say maybe the sun, you know, especially in stuff like Star Wars, maybe the sun should be a little more orange or a little bit more blue or something like that. And they can change it in real time. Someone's standing over there with an iPad adjusting the scene. They can say, I don't really like that rock formation in the back. Maybe we should take it out. Um, so it just creates all sorts of um, use for the directors. They can really direct the scene in real time. And just think, if you're trying to shoot a sunset scene, you're no longer bound by the sun. You can actually yeah. fix the sun in place for the sunset scene. And you don't have to travel to the beach. You can just be in your studio. And so it just, it provides all sorts of benefits for the film industry. Yeah, it yeah. seems like it's providing a lot of value. And I think I said that before, but the way that people use it, the Unity stuff is super helpful and like saves just a ton of time and makes it a lot easier to make all these films. All right, and the last uh, section here, highlights and lowlights. Ian, do you want to kick things off? Yeah, so I'd say some of the highlights are just, I'm just going to touch on one main one really, but they're recreating life, you know, just in this virtual world. And that just has so many potential markets. There, it's hard to think of a market that wouldn't benefit from some sort of application of this. Um, you know, they've got a lot of cash right now. Cash flows are trending in the right direction. Um, a couple of my lowlights are, we don't really know how it's gonna respond as a public company. It hasn't even record, or reported its first quarter yet. So right. I'll be keeping my eye on that. Um, does have a high valuation, as you mentioned, Brett. There's, you know, as I mentioned, there's some HR concerns or allegations out there right now that just want to keep my eye on. And one final low light that I'll touch on is the, the CEO didn't really have a great tenure as CEO at EA. Um, the stock was down, um, which was due in part to the Great Recession, but also it kind of stayed flat for a number of years, which was, it was, it was a tough time in the gaming industry, but some of their competitors did perform better than EA. Um, so he'll have to he'll have to do a little better job here than he did at EA for this to be a successful stock. That is also, a good. Oh, go ahead. Also, to touch on that, uh, I don't know if EA had this reputation then, but they're not necessarily known as being user user friendly, user centric. And it feels like that Unreal has a better reputation, at least in the media, of uh, you know over Unity. Um, I could be wrong on that though. But, yeah, and yeah. one thing I'll just touch on this too is they kind of talked about his tenure at EA being. Um, you know, the EA was kind of the, the games for the non-gamers, right? It right, was the, right. the Madden stuff, Sim yeah. City, you know, that type of stuff. And so he tried to do, I just read, they were trying to um, do like a takeover of Take-Two, I believe. And so he tried to kind of do some stuff and it just never quite caught on. Hmm. Um, but he's getting a second chance here and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, also, I do want to uh, tell you for the next show, because uh, we forgot to mention this, valuation cannot be a low light because yeah. it's like it's typically the easiest low light. But yeah. You obviously had a bunch of different ones. So yeah, yeah. It's you a, always avoid that one. And the thing is, it's good to think about like if the valuation is your only low light, it probably means the business is high quality when you struggle to find the actual low lights. But yeah.
Okay, what Ryan, do you, you want uh, you want me to go? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, financial side for me, the, the stock-based compensation numbers and the SG&A numbers as a percentage of revenue are very solid. I like that R&D number as a percentage of revenue. Gross margin numbers look like they could get to conservatively 30% free cash flow margins at scale. The thing is though, like you mentioned before, um, you have to rate that to a valuation of an EV to sales of 36. So, you know, 36 divided by 0.3, that's pretty high. Um, I think they do have a big time competitive advantage though, as making it a high bar learning for developers and getting in early uh, with students and the freemium stuff. Um, low lights for me, they're hard to find, but to me, like I mentioned before, Unreal Engine seems like they're gonna put a lot of pressure on them. That new pricing uh, thing that they did. So you, um, when you're with Unreal, which is the Epic Games one, you don't pay a cent even if you're a large developer until your game has brought in a million dollars in revenue, that's a strong value proposition. And it seems like Epic has a lot of momentum with that right now. It hasn't slowed down unity in the first half of 2020, but it makes me uneasy um, for, you know, the next few years here. Definitely. All right. My highlights It is as far as business concept goes, it's supplying the pickaxes for the metaverse. That's mm. typically nice. something I like, Nice, you know, and, nice and buzzwords. gaming as a whole, is something we love uh it's it's mm -hmm. a industry that we focus on a lot yep um and developers will the developers that rely on unity solutions are going to be pretty sticky and that leads typically to sustainable growth um and i have to imagine that it's pretty difficult to switch like i said and then low lights though i actually have some real concerns here for the low lights over the next two years there's going to be the new xbox console there's going to be the new playstation console and there's going to be we believe potentially switch, potentially yeah the switch pro yeah so all those consoles are supposed to be better tech higher quality more immersive that feels like developers are going to lean towards unreal based off what we understand of the two engines yeah that, and so yeah. And, and and so that's a serious concern for me the other part is uh unity's basically said we're trying to go for beyond gaming we want all these adjacent markets but 60 percent of their revenue comes from operate solutions operate is solely gaming mm -hmm. the create solutions are catered for those adjacent markets because operate i mean you're not doing like advertising revenue for an autodesk subscription you know yeah. what i mean yeah so i mean those are those are real concerns um i don't think i have to imagine they aren't as customer centric as maybe the unreal engine is and maybe that's just because unreal has announced this battle or epic games has announced this battle with apple and it feels like people are going to you know it's going to have an army behind them of developers. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I, I just, you might get good cash flow out of unity because it's, it's got good unit economics. It looks like, but I don't know if it's going to have robust growth that we could see with Epic games. If I would love to see Epic games IPO right now, it would, yeah. it would be go berserk. It would go day. berserk. Yeah. They would trade it like 45 times sales. Uh, but yeah, the create solutions thing, since their take rate is so low, they might be in a lot of industries, but it, I don't know what their potential revenue numbers could be. And that is quite a, kind of concerning. Um, before we hit the last question, Ian, do you have anything else or? No, I think you guys wrap. Okay. Uh, all right. Final question. We're going to wrap things up here with a new question where this is going to replace our old rating system, which we can't do anymore for each of us. We just have to ask, are we more or less interested in unity right now? Uh, I'll go first. Go ahead, Ryan. Okay. I am actually less bullish than I would have been. Um, looking into it after looking in, I mean, it seems weird that there's this massive TAM 
it's a duopoly, duopoly. They have 53% market share or whatever. And they only have 500 million in revenue. That seems yeah. like they're dramatically underpriced or they can't raise prices for some reason. And mm -hmm. a lot of it is from operate solutions, not from create. Yeah. So it, um, I don't know. It's a little concerning to me and especially where it trades. Yeah. Especially for the valuation it has, that's sort of an independent discussion on its own, but it just seems like maybe the growth rates aren't as sustainable as I would have guessed they'd be. Yeah. Ian, you want to go? Yeah. For me, I'd say I'm a little bit more interested than I was um, just a couple of days ago. I hadn't, I hadn't ever looked into unity before and I didn't know much about the space. And so it was intriguing to me, especially we've talked a lot about the different industries they could um, hop into. And, and if they're really able to execute on that, I think there's a lot of potential. The one, the one thing I will say, and, and I'd like to kind of hear your guys' thoughts on this too, is for me, I'm, I'm sitting on the sidelines for now. I got to see what happens yeah. over these next couple of quarters, but yeah. Do you do you guys have an approach for whether you invest in new IPOs right away or do you give it a little uh, bit of time? Nah. Yeah, anything IPO related, we tend to wait. Yeah, especially the last few years, it's been so volatile. It makes it really tough to hold on to, you know, like we've yeah. seen stuff trade up 100% and then down 30% <laughs> within the next three days. And they don't have the public uh, company filings. So also, I think, right. Ian, I think you nailed it. If they can execute properly on the adjacent markets, they're they're going to be great. They can grow for the next but decade. Th th they're priced like they are going to execute well. Yes. Yeah. And so you don't know if they're going to win those markets over over the Unreal Engine. And uh, if the Mandalorian is any example, the Unreal Engine seems to be winning. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right. I guess I'll go with mine. I'm less interested. Specific. I think they can grow solidly. For the next you know few years here but it's priced like they're going to grow like someone like snowflake or zoom video they're priced at a superb premium uh ev to sales of 36 is i mean it's kind of it's ridiculous and you have to think <laughs> that they're going to be able to grow sustainably for the next few years because at a you know free, whatever their cash flow margin that you think they could have or their earnings margins um it's just tough to get my head around and that's why i'm less interested all right before we wrap up ian do you want to say where people can find you or stay in contact you know yeah you can find me at iangraylive.com or Perfect. um on twitter at iangraylive all right that's going to do it for the U unity episode uh hard to say there uh remember we are not financial advisors ryan one second Wait, oh yeah before the end disclosure remember mm -hmm. uh youtube yeah you can right. find us on youtube you now. can watch this yeah if someone might be watching right now yeah there you go <laughs> and uh then also twitter and email chitchatmoneypodcast at gmail.com if you're interested in having us do a show or you have some recommendation yes we'll gladly take those we'll, yeah we'll gladly take those uh all right further disclosure to wrap things up remember we are not financial advisors anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you on our next episode.